Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. And what's up? How's this week? Any better? You feeling a little bit more in? Yeah. Oh, yeah? That's good. Me too, actually. Yeah, I'm feeling great now. <laughs> great? Okay, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I'm feeling like a little bit more adapted. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely adapted. I just feel like now that like I've gotten used to how bad all the news is every day, I'm finding comfort in things like a very strange daily routine, spending time at home, cleaning. I mean, I just cleaned out my underwear drawer and I found so... Actually, Sandy, I found a little note from you uh, when I left the Canadian... In your underwear drawer? Yeah, that's where I like, leave... Like, most of that is actually not underwear. It's mostly like cards and stuff that I just don't know where else to put it. Oh, I was going to say, you put notes for me in your underwear drawer? <laughs> yeah, actually, I didn't know yeah. we had that kind of relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I was going through this thing, and I just see this big, like, I love you. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. And it was from you. Aw, that's so yeah. cute. Wait, when is it from? Oh, it was from, like, 2010 or 12 or something. Oh, yeah. that's so super cute. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty nice. So so it's this kind of stuff that I'm finding uh, pretty relaxing and pretty... Um, uh, it's nice. I mean, I think what this moment has laid bare is the need for us to have these breaks from like how completely rushed and overburdened our lives have become. And to see like the drop in pollution, it's like, wouldn't this just be so much better if we weren't at the same time quarantined? <laughs> like we could actually <laughs> hang out with people and, and do stuff. I think that this needs to be a new demand of the, of the climate justice movement that we have a full, countrywide shutdown for two weeks of everything that would just be so nice i think that labor would be down for that as well maybe you could convince them that that's something to do i mean i i have been definitely enjoying uh cooking ah. i love cooking i don't get to do it very often and i have been cooking obviously quite a bit uh, because i am you know not getting things delivered. I think uh, a lot of people are, but I think there's some risks there too that uh, people have, some news outlets have talked about. So, and, I, and I'm just not as busy as I was. I should be, I suppose, because of the whole school thing, but I am kind of refusing, uh, consciously refusing um, making my brain do more than it can. And so, nice. <laughs> I'm, you know, as I'm like uh, turning my brain towards adapting to life, I'm also you know trying to enjoy things that I enjoy like cooking and doing a little working out I, I set up a tiny little capoeira very small space capoeira space <laughs> in, my, <laughs> in my place uh the cartwheels are really small but, <laughs> uh but uh in capoeira called aus are very small but uh you know it works so that's good that's amazing. I also have set up a little tiny area for me to do um, some circuit training. So, yeah. I mean, that's good. And, you know, I've taken walks in the last couple of weeks. And I haven't done that since I was a kid. Oh, wow. <laughs> I realized. Yeah, I haven't. Um, you know, I live in the city, so I walk all the time in Toronto, not in LA. Nobody walks in LA, but in Toronto, you know, you walk to do something, you walk to go somewhere, you walk to the grocery store or whatever. But I've not taken a walk for pleasure since I was a child, I realized, uh, last week. And I've been doing that. And that's been uh, wonderful. 
different and wonderful. That's really great. Like that. That's so nice. I wish I could walk more. The problem is, is I live in an area that is so densely populated that yesterday, which was a beautiful day outside, you literally could not keep six feet away from anybody without walking really? into traffic. Yeah. And there are side streets where the where the traffic is so limited that people can take over and have taken over the streets. So it's just wonderful to witness. But this was this was a bit sad um, because like I even heard a busker. Like it was a little bit too everything's normal. And like I'm not sure if you're watching the province by province case counts, but like the the pandemic is the worst right now in Quebec. And it was just I am definitely watching that. Yeah. (laughs) Every hour. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's just like, folks, go inside. I know it's so beautiful, but we all have balconies. That's one nice thing about Quebec is that everyone has a balcony. And um, and I definitely was surprised at how few people I saw on the balconies and how many people I saw on the streets. So that was a little bit um, a little bit disheartening. But also, I mean, it's the human spirit and human nature and our director of health. Uh, was driving up and down one of the main streets of one of the downtown areas with a megaphone, thanking everybody for respecting his instructions. So there were parts of the city that were a little oh, bit wow. more quiet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a very cute video. If you can find it, Horatio Aruda is like made himself into quite the little celebrity in Quebec. No, I shouldn't say little. He's quite the big celebrity in Quebec. Well, before we talk about what we're going to talk about, should we thank some folks? Yes, I want to thank everybody who has continued to give us money this month. There are so many of you, and I can't obviously read the more than 200 names, uh, but I have also had people being in touch wondering how they can support me and, 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 and you, Sandy, and the show in this kind of really bizarre time. Of course, of course, both of us have lost quite a, bo- quite a lot of income uh, over <laughs> the course of the next, oh, six months, maybe more. Probably and, a year, um, let's be real. <laughs> And the, yeah, the, probably the year. And so all of the support that folks have been continuing to give us is really appreciated. And then we've had some new supporters as well in the last week. And so I want to say thank you so much to JC, Bree, Robin, Wendy, and Katie. Thank you so much, y'all. Really appreciate it. Okay, so we've been thinking about some things. Uh, we were like, should we talk about the coronavirus again? No, not quite. But we do want to talk like no. around the coronavirus a little bit. <laughs> One of the things that we were uh, thinking about, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are thinking about this too, is in a moment where you are so frustrated with the way that your government is handling, say, I don't know, for example, a global pandemic, what does one do to voice such frustration? What does one do to organize around such frustration? Because we have a playbook. We kind of know generally uh, what to do to put pressure on people who have power, and that is to refuse business as usual. And whatever creative mm-hmm. attempts that we have to do that, whether those be, you know, sit-ins or rallies or something far more creative, um, we we know that that is a very effective way to put pressure on power to. Um, to change course well what do you do when what's the new normal is business not continuing as normal (laughs) like how does one put pressure uh, to say 
you know, I don't know, look, you must, Justin Trudeau, you must put some sort of moratorium on rent. You can't just ask people to do it nicely. Or you must tell the banks that they that they have to stop collecting interest on, uh, on I don't know, uh, minimum payments for lines of credit right now. It's not possible. And so you, you've got to make the announcement and stop asking them to be nice about it. And they're not doing mm-hmm. it. How do we put that pressure on? I, you know, I really thought about this for a little bit with a cousin of mine, and we are still thinking about it. Like we were like, let's get back to each other next week because <laughs> it's a, that's a complicated question. Uh, but Nora, I hear you might have some ideas. Well, it is a complicated question, and I think that the way that we have to parse this question is to ask ourselves what are the things that we want to change because there are primary issues the issues that you mentioned the issues that are flowing directly from how governments are reacting to the coronavirus then there are secondary issues issues that are being passed under the guise of helping our situation with the coronavirus or things that have nothing to do with the coronavirus but have been announced so maybe let's start with like what are the things that need to be resisted right now? And then what I think is really important is to talk about the resistance that people have been mounting because there has been some really interesting campaigns that many people have been undertaking. And I think it's their lead that will help us come up with some ideas over the course of the next 45 minutes. Okay. So we have a government that for the first two weeks, I would say, was given pretty much carte blanche to do what they thought they needed to do. Mm-hmm. And that's because things were are, are really scary. And, you know, we're listening to experts and we're following the lead of public health officials and all this kind of thing. And what do we learn about how the liberals operate under those circumstances? We learn that they default to certain experts in society that are good news, I would say, for progressive people. And those experts are health experts, um, uh, epidemiologists, people whose entire lives are focused on the study of infectious diseases and containing an outbreak. These are people who are funded, funded by universities and by public services, by, by and large. And they're the kind of people that we on the left are constantly saying, give them more money. We need more financing to universities. We need more... Uh, we need more funding for uh, tuition fees so that everybody can become a doctor rather just rather than just the sons and daughters of doctors becoming doctors. You know, there's a lot of things in society that we have always called for that all of a sudden now have become very clearly the right things to call for. And I think that in this moment, what I get a lot of pleasure from is like seeing laid bare our ideas and our demands that we're always calling for being the right ones. And so there's just kind of a <laughs> yeah. moment of like, of a, of, a, of a respiration, like take a breath and go, yeah, we were fucking right. We are fucking right. And the second that we are able to be back in the streets, we will be right again. Mm-hmm. Like, have you been, how do you react to some of that kind of those, th- those kinds of realizations of the work that you've been doing for so long, like being laid bare as being so clearly and obviously and objectionably, objectively correct. Oh, it is like sweet, sweet vindication. It's, you know, that every time that someone's like, uh, mentions, you know, I can't believe that they are asking people to come out of retirement because we have a shortage of nurses. It's like, you know, what would have solved that problem? 
free tuition because I know many people who wanted to go to nursing school um, around my family, for example, who made the uh, decision not to because they couldn't afford it. Or even, you know, like some of the more difficult things that our society would never have broached as a question, like releasing prisoners from incarceration. People are like, release the prisoners. This is too dangerous. It's like, yeah, you know what? They shouldn't have been in there in the first place. If they weren't in there, we would not have had uh, this type of explosion of cases in different uh, uh, prisons across the United States and Canada. I'm just like, you know, people are like, well, obviously we we have to to release people who, you know, are going to be totally safe in society. You know, if it's just a drug crime, then like whatever. It's like, why isn't that the case all the time, <laughs> like yep. all of these discussions that people are now finally um, having because uh, the the backdrop of this pandemic gives them permission to have those discussions is just sweet, sweet vindication. Yeah. And, and like in the same sense that people should not feel pressure to be productive under these conditions, we shouldn't feel pressure to that to, to continue these struggles in this moment of real uncertainty, it's only been three weeks, you know, it has only been three weeks that everything has stopped and, and pretty much all of our lives have changed in some way. And so taking stock about, of where we are and what arguments we can use once this is all over, that's work. And that's actually really important work because if we're not able to convince people on an, uh, like in an average conversation, about why tuition fees for doctors should be free, why incarceration is a bad public policy, why rents are bad public policy, why the banks are screwing us. This is giving us this incredible moment of evidence that will be very difficult for people to deny. And so like the one thing that people can be definitely doing is taking notes and, and observing how those negative public policies that we've always resisted have, have become so obviously damaging. Damaging and, and that our position on them have become so, uh, maybe surprisingly, maybe, maybe not, depending on who you are, popular. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The progressive position right now is the popular position. So much so uh, Republicans and conservatives find themselves calling for some of the most progressive uh, policy change um, that, you know, we could have thought to even imagine the liberals would mention. So popular is uh, um, the fact that it's popular is just something that we have to hold on to uh, coming out of this whenever that happens. Exactly. The other thing, too, is to look at what movements are still happening and that are, are being successful. Because, you know, things have slowed down for sure and we can't stop business as usual because business as usual has effectively stopped. And it's it's interesting that you were saying that you that you both were kind of struggling with this idea like we can't if we can't shut anything down, if everything's already shut down, then that's one of our big tools out of our toolbox that we can't use at this moment. But everything being shut down also gives us tremendous opportunities in different ways. We have people who are looking to do something for the first time or who are very active and have lost their jobs and actually need something to do. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that um, I've seen a lot of have been uh, progressive organizers trying to create excitement and buzz around webinars and around panel discussions to try and bring people together around certain issues. And so today, I'm not sure if you saw, we're recording this on Sunday, 
there was a really interesting Zoom meeting that was set up um, where uh, folks were talking about the hunger strike that's happening in the Laval Detention Center, I believe, um, a migrant detention center in Quebec. And it was uh, the, the, the moderators, so the participants were Robin Maynard, Alexandra Pierre, Nanki Ray, Safa Chebi, Stacey Gomez, Harsha Walia. I mean, like, it's like folks who are really, really big names in, uh, in, in migrant justice organizing, in racial justice organizing, organizing against anti-black racism. The, and, and, the, and what they're organizing around is the justice that the liberals are denying to migrants coming to Canada, right, by effectively closing, not effectively, by, by fully closing the Canadian border, which has been a right-wing demand for years. Justin Trudeau has told the world that Canada will not accept asylum seekers effectively at all because you can't come by air because you're not a Canadian citizen. You can't come by boat because you're not a Canadian citizen. And you can't cross irregularly or not irregularly uh, along the, the longest border that we have by land with the United States. And we know that, the, that, the, the, um, that Donald Trump has said that anybody who tries to cross into Canada is sent back to the United States are going to be Im immediately deported. In the current context of a pandemic, this is a fight that I think we can win if we put enough pressure on the liberals, because it's not as if the liberals are also running at 100% steam either. They are trying to figure things out. They're making lots of missteps. They're correcting those missteps a couple of days later. And I think that, that sure, we can't have rallies or we can't block anything or we can't occupy uh, the, an office of, any, of anyone in Ottawa or any of our, of our members of parliament. But by, by telling people about what's going on, and having these kinds of online discussion groups or, or webinars, I think that that's helping to ferment in people's minds how we can move forward to demand justice for people who are in the detention of the state. So whether that is, um, th whether that is asylum seekers, whether that is uh, people who are in prisons uh, or, or whatever in state custody in, in some way. So that gives me a lot of hope, and I think that that is also a way that we could be organizing right now uh, or continue to organize right now. For sure. In some ways, I think that there's a um, – now might be a better time to do a political education than uh, other times uh, where we might find ourselves struggling to, to get people's attention or to get people to, to take the time that they need to to do the sort of political education necessary to – um, think through some of these big issues, but then what happens post political education? Um, what it, what tools do we have for an agitation? Because when I when I think about how we put pressure on, a lot of it um, has to do with getting the attention of news media and making something yeah. really big or impossible to avoid by you know the general population. Um, or um, the the kind of more slow organizing of you know going door to door, making sure you got the support, and then calling on that support when needed. Both of those things seem to be very difficult right now. I I don't know how to do. That's not what I want to say. Um, I'm unsure 
how to, you know, like right now, the, the media is only focused on one thing. <laughs> you know, you open up the newspaper uh, and all the stories are about one thing. Um, how do you get the newspapers to then focus on the critiques of what's coming out of that one thing? You know, like how do we get the attention of the media to listen to an alternative response uh, to closing the borders to asylum seekers? Well, it's especially a difficult question considering that uh, I would argue that it was a lot of journalists that got that issue onto the radar in the first place in a negative way because it was this nonstop barrage of questions from journalists, especially from French language journalists, uh, especially uh, from TVA and the Journal de Montréal, who kept on asking Trudeau when they were going to do this. And it felt like they had that pressure from the media and it was kind of this perverse victory from right-wing media forces that were just consistently asking about rocks and road, rocks and road, rocks and road. And the really fucked up thing too is like rocks and road, of course, is the border crossing in Quebec. The rebel media was there and they had like little actions and stuff a couple of weeks ago before everything really got shut down. And they, th that is a, a total victory from the rebel media side. I, I think that this is something that liberal voters need to feel and it needs to be like really put in their faces. And so on one hand, you know, journalists are not probably going to be our best um, method to get the word out. Although the, there has been very excellent reporting about about the condition in, 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 in various jails and, and prisons related to, to the coronavirus. So maybe there are some journalists who are willing to put this critical perspective forward. But I'm I, I feel like on an issue like this. Education does remain the most important thing anyway, because it wasn't as if the liberal line of like, oh, we won't suspend the third country agreement, but we will continue to allow people to cross irregularly. That wasn't very obvious, I don't think, or clearly articulated to average people. And so I guess I'm definitely struggling to, to think about how to go further under the conditions that we are in. But I also don't think that we can get past that education point yet on that issue because there is just so much that still needs to be done to make people understand why closing the border is such a bad idea. Well, and for sure, like, I mean, that's just, but that's just one issue, you know. But it's like, a good example. <laughs> it's a really good example. It's a great example. It's a great example. There, but there are other issues that can be examples as well. You know, the Quarantine Act uh, the government has uh, put in place now uh, to start using, which means that people can now um, be fined or... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, because I haven't looked at this directly, I've just seen it um, on social media, can either be fined or detained for not following uh, provisions within the Quarantine Act. And, you know, I imagine that you are of the opinion that I am, which is that uh, no one should be fined right now. <laughs> it's just like, economy's tanking. You know, it'll work. Let's Let's make these people pay us money for not listening to us. It's like, yeah, I don't really have any money, whatever. Maybe I, I'm not following this because I need to go to work because you haven't made it such that my my yeah. uh, my most expensive expense, uh, my living uh, arrangements uh, are not uh, uh, something that I can just stop paying for right now. You know, it, to find that person seems ridiculous. To detain that person also seems ridiculous, especially knowing what we know about what's going on in detention right now. And so, uh, you know, there are people who are calling for this. There are people who support this, who are like, uh, we need strong measures. Yeah. We need some sort of uh, consequence for people 
who continue to go outside, who can who continue to uh, congregate or continue to uh, however else we're going to shame people um, into doing something that should be a systemic uh, response. And okay, so now uh, we have something in place uh, that is uh, the stick um, approach, the negative reinforcement approach. Um, I, you know, how do we say that's not something we want? Or put pressure on to say, like, this is not the way that you should be enforcing this. Like, uh, you know, I just, I, st I still don't understand why uh, we haven't commandeered hotels at the airport to do the quarantines ourselves, like uh, Ethiopia is doing. Like, I just, I don't get it. You know what I mean? It's like, it seems like there's so many other things that could be done besides here's a, a slap on the wrist, a fine and detention, which, you know, a, a government official will announce. People will say, man, our government officials, Doug Ford, doing so great right now on all of this, um, which I've also seen other people say, which it's just like, man, they're doing the bare minimum. And how do we get people to understand that they're just doing the bare minimum um, if we can't use the traditional ways we've used uh, to uh, take over the airways? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The real difficulty, I think, is that there's this broad feeling of shock and... I'm just, I get the sense that anyone that's doing like progressive organizing in a full-time capacity, so folks who work with not-for-profits or folks that work in the labor movement have basically found themselves as confused and disoriented as everybody else. And it's, I, I, I hope that we're able to get out of that sooner rather than later because it is those groups that need to put pressure on the government, like this is not a stable government. This is a very shaky government. And and all of the laurels and, and love that's gonna be sent towards uh, Trudeau or to Ford or to Legault or to Kenny, uh, to Horgan for everything that they've been doing doesn't get us anywhere. And so that's also where we need to put pressure on our, our union leadership, uh, use the networks that we have through social movement groups to, to try and fight it. And I, I totally agree with you. I'm not exactly sure what the solution is. I know a lot of people have reached to online petitions, which I think are just not at all helpful right now. I know that not that's it. pretty much... They're not it. Yeah. No, no. So, yeah, so it's it's really it's a really difficult question, especially because, I mean, the Quarantine, Quarantine Act only offers a couple of remedies, so fines are part of that because it's already part of the act. What happens when the military gets called in, <laughs> which we are probably crawling towards uh, a moment where the military will be enforcing the quarantine act or the police are forcing the quarantine act in various parts of the of the country. Partly, this is where artists are really important, where artists can speak to people and say, you know what, you can't go outside and, and do that kind of work to make sure that there's more of the carrot rather than having people have the force of the state come down on them. Um and then, of course, there needs to be a bit of a movement, too, around, like, just don't pay fucking anything right now. And that includes fines <laughs> if you're fined under the Quarantine Act. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a bit theoretical because until someone is charged and we know the circumstances of them being charged, uh, it's, it, it's all kind of a guessing game. And the only stories that we know are stories like the two men in New Brunswick that, like, spat on people and told them that they had the coronavirus. I mean they were both arrested for assault. So, you know, there's very clear instruments that already exist in the law to deal with people doing, like, that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, I you know, the, the, the widespread lack of criticism of how um, our civil liberties have overnight vanished 
at the same time, there is a, a massive collective need for us all to, to, to confine ourselves, to not go outside and to not allow this illness to spread to whatever capacity that we have. But the, f- the fucked up thing that I think um, you and I probably agree with uh, is there's an attention that has been placed, mis- I think misapplied. And we talked about this two weeks ago. I, you know, I hesitate to listen to old episodes because I'm not, <laughs> I never know how I'm going to feel about them a couple of weeks <laughs> later. But, but we were, we were both a bit surprised that they were banning crowds before they were doing other measures. And I think that that's an important way to think about this. So, you know, these, this, this virus is disproportionately hurting uh, elderly people. That is clear. Uh, overwhelming uh, people who have died are uh, older than 60 years old. I think that the the number of even hospitalizations of people under the age of 40 is only 12% in Canada. And so if that's the case, then where are the targeted interventions that are, are helping people deal with the crisis within long-term care because that's where that's where these outbreaks are happening in British Columbia in Quebec in Ontario it's in long-term care facilities that people are getting the ill the fastest and so then where is the creativity to to say okay how do we bring in more staff or how do we remove some of these people from these places and are there other places that they can live and and ride out this pandemic or is it really that we're going to lock these folks into their bedrooms by themselves and they are not allowed to have family visits and they're not allowed to see anybody for weeks at a time I mean that's just the most horrible thing that you can do to someone but that's been told to us as the most intelligent way to deal with this pandemic right now and there has been very little public discussion of it. And instead, we have journalists asking about Rocks and Road. We have journalists asking, when are you going to call in the military? And so, you know, we could we could debate how do you resist an attack on our civil liberties? And I mean, we can write letters to the to the editor. We can be in touch with, with people that we know. We can be in touch with politicians. We can we can, you know, write analyses to help people understand what civil liberties are and why they need to be protected while at the same time respecting the fact that this crisis is happening. Or we could try and change the channel and look at these kinds of other issues as they're emerging as being much more important to containing uh, illness, to containing people's like hospitalization or death. And, and, and part of that, I don't know if you heard, I mean, Doug Ford just used this pandemic as an excuse to roll back really important protections in long-term care facilities, allowing private long-term care facilities to just hire whoever they want right now. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. there are things that need to be resisted. How do we resist them? Well, again, Doug Ford is on shaky ground. And so so this is where we also have to push back against the narrative that this needs to be a, a politic-free zone and get on the phone and harass every politician who has any ability to to change this i mean the other side of this of course is is that we've got very weak opposition voices i mean the ndp has been basically nowhere federally and has been i mean they're big anyway (laughs) maybe we can go into talking about the ndp in a bit but thanks for that employer subsidy ndp instead of just giving the money to us directly whatever Look, I I think that you know um, part of what the the struggle in thinking through this is um, that so much of uh, what we do when we're trying to put pressure on people in power is we are trying to show how popular an idea is 
through uh, either um, bodies doing something in particular, like people like actually getting out into the streets and doing something or through some other show of support. And that's why I think people have migrated uh, to petitions, online petitions, because it's, you know, it's like, how do we show that something's happening um, and in a popular, or there's an idea that's really popular right now that's not a petition? I think that it's, it's obvious that people um, are gravitating towards petitions for that reason. I think that there's other ways that we can do that, though, too. Like, I think, um, and maybe, you know, what we'll need is some artists to send us some um, some suggestions uh, if we, we on this call are not creative enough <laughs> or me and my cousin, you know, thinking through these things at home are not creative enough. It's just, you know, like, there's got to be other ways that we can show um, a strong... Uh, a show of support for something that maybe we can no longer use that that those uh, those people those bodies to like stop business as usual but can we use them to do something else somehow you know um and I think that's got to be possible. Like, you know, I see a lot of people um, using uh, other uh, social platforms that I would probably never use, <laughs> like TikTok, to, like, show um, that they support each other through dances or whatever. And I'm not saying that, you know, okay, now let's organize some sort of uh, TikTok, TikTok protest. But what I am saying is there's ways that we can connect with one another um, to make something popular and... Uh, I'm looking for ideas for how to package those things and focus them in on shifting some sort of policy directive because the policy directives are coming out every fucking day. That's another part of the problem, right? It's really exhausting to follow everything and to follow up on everything and to double check everything and make sure um, that what that's what's happening is you know humane or makes sense uh, or isn't going to hurt us in the long run and check it over with uh, the medical experts and whomever like that kind of stuff is exhausting and so you know what I, what you were saying at the beginning makes a lot of sense we need people to be doing um, political education around that stuff so we understand it take us through the muck that's great um, where's part two what is part two and what does it look like is, you know, the big question that's been going through my mind in the last couple of weeks. And I just, um, I have no answer to it yet, but this conversation um, is helping me to see that we, we just, we need to focus um, a show of, of uh, mass support. And how we do that, I'm not quite sure yet. The funny thing is, is that the, the group that's had the biggest political victories in the last week, I've already mentioned one, the far right, uh, the other is the Conservative Party. If you think about the emergency debate that happened in the House of Commons, so the Conservatives leaked, uh, well, it seems like, the Conservatives leaked a copy of the motion the day before it was debated last Tuesday, I think, where the the Liberals were trying to give themselves taxing and spending power until 2021 to, to give that to Cabinet rather than having to take that to Parliament. It was an incredible attack on parliamentary democracy. And the conservatives sank it and they sank it because they knew that people would not be behind it because it's an outrageous attack. And they used the, the methods that they had to them, like, you know, journalists who they knew would journalists would hate this idea, too, obviously. And 
and they sank it. They they managed to maneuver themselves around getting the the the, the, the liberals to to drop it. So this is where I'm like, NDP, you guys have got to get your fucking shit together. And maybe it's not even fair because if your shit's not together in good times, your shit's not going to be together in like really stressful times. But we really do absolutely need uh, a progressive voice that's challenging the prime minister because they are such they're on such shaky ground right now that they really can be knocked off course, whether it's by many, many journalists asking the same question over and over and over, or it's by a very strong opposition voice that has a really good argument. And so when you have an opposition party that's supposed to be the left-wing party, they have to have a clear vision of what a left-wing response to this pandemic is going to be. What is a nationally coordinated health response, and how are you going to use the Canada Health Act to flow money into the Canada Health Act to bring everybody's standards up across this country to make sure that the care looks the same in every region, regardless of, of where you are if you get the coronavirus? Where is the NDP very clearly telling people to not pay their rent and to say, you know what, fuck the banks, the, 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 the interest rates of the credit card companies, we have to legislate them to not be charging interest right now like there's just so many things that the NDP could clearly say and they're not saying anything that's clear the only clear messaging that they've had this past week was the messaging that they shared with the Federation of Canadian Independent Businesses which by the way is a fucking piece of shit right-wing anti-worker or organization so I mean part of it is when when we have no tools like the ones that you mentioned we do have to rely on systems working we have to rely on a, on an opposition that is apparently a left-wing alternative working and when i see someone like andrew horvath who's the official opposition in, in ontario saying that we need to make free parking in hospitals for this pandemic and not just say we need to have free hospital parking it's just like fuck like we are s- fucked we are fucked if the if the left cannot get their shit together at that level then, then we realize that there's this huge gap in the things that we can do because we do need to have a parliamentary response, regardless of if you think that being involved with parliamentary politics is useful. You, you have that, that is a tool that we should be able to use. And so I don't know what the strategic discussions are within the NDP right now. I doubt that they're coming up with a full platform of what a progressive response this, to this uh, crisis is going to look like. But for fuck's sakes, people, you have got to do better than ripping off American democratic left-wing policy ideas and supporting stuff that the Canadian Federation of Independent Business is all about. We need to hear things like direct money to all Canadians at, um, I don't know, $3,000 uh, every two weeks, let's say. It's going to get taxed back, so it's fine. Uh, to go to everybody, a universal program is is smart. We need the NDP to say, no, 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 Justin Trudeau, we have tons of ways to reach people directly. We can give people, every single person in this country, a check or direct deposit because they they file their taxes. When you take them out of this equation, then things get a lot more confusing. When you put them into the equation, things get confusing in a different way. When you take who out? When you say them, who are you referring to? The NDP. The NDP. Oh, I see. Well, you, you know what? Like, well, then maybe what uh, should be happening right now is that if there is no list of things of uh, what would what life needs to look like in this particular time um, that the NDP is coming up with, maybe progressive organizations across the country should be working together to do something like that, to make something like that, to create that um, that those guidelines, because that, I think, would get the uh, attention of media and that I think would it's it's the slow hard work that happens before the agitation um, that 
usually is done by, you know, the leadership of some organization or people who are the writers and the researchers in a particular uh, type of organization, depending on how you're structured. Well, maybe that just needs to happen with a whole bunch of different people and so that a platform is created now and uh, delivered to the government. So it's not just fly by the seat of your pants every day, a new policy being uh, announced that we have to respond to. Um, many of us who are on the left and know a little bit about epidemiology know that this is probably not going to be um, until Easter or the end of April, depending on which Trump you are today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this is going to be, um, this could be, I think the shortest estimate I heard was four months. Oh, that's longest, optimistic. Oh, but that but that estimate was like three or four weeks ago, right? So right. it was optimistic for, <laughs> and maybe possible three or four weeks ago had we done certain things, but we didn't. <laughs> and so, and so you know, like I I'm seeing estimates of up to a year uh, of uh, the types of changes that we're seeing now in our society uh, being in place for up to a year. Right. And if so, if it's going to be a year and uh, politicians aren't responding like it's going to be a year, they're like, OK, so tomorrow, <laughs> well, this is what we're going to do now. Maybe progressive organizations need to respond like it's a year and yes. deliver a policy platform that says, look, this is what it has to be. And this is what we need you people in power to do, because otherwise we're not going to be able to live. Some of us are going to starve. People are going to die. And this is quite serious. We need to be able to put the pressure on uh, where we have to put the pressure on because we know, we know, we know that our governments are shit <laughs> at thinking about certain people and about taking care of all of us. And so that's up to us. So maybe that's the next thing. Maybe that's what we need to do. The other kind of change that I just want to touch on briefly, and I'm not sure you saw the news, but you know, I mentioned at the start of the show that that there are changes that are being made under the under the chaos of the pandemic that have nothing to do with the pandemic. And mm. fighting those changes, I think, are probably going to be the, like, differently hard. <laughs> um, and so folks who are in Alberta, did you see the news that came out of Alberta yesterday? Um, remind me. I think I did, but uh, it's not coming to me right now. Remind me what it is. It, it is, you, you, it is, hold on. It's possible that you saw and it was just so like that doesn't make any sense that you just kind of like glazed over because I just saw a lot of people critiquing Jason Kenney and saying like this is not the time or something like that. But I can't remember what it was about. Exactly. So he has announced that they are laying off 20,000 educational workers from the kindergarten from kindergarten to grade 12. What? 20,000. Yep. A lot of those workers are going to be educational assistants. And so, you know, students that have extra supports in the classroom are going to show back up to class in September, right? Because Alberta has been one of the provinces to say, no, we're not, there's no way people are going back until September. And, and 20,000 people are going to be laid off from that system. That is an unbelievable decision that, that they've just made in the, in the fog of, of war. I think we can even say it as, uh, in that way. And so for folks in Alberta, I mean, that is a, that is a, a very vicious fight that you're going to have to wage against your government. And, and these conditions make that even harder. In what way is... <laughs> I, I don't understand. <laughs> Why would they do that right now? 
the the argument is because oil has hit five dollars a barrel that their you know their budget relied on oil being something like fifty five or sixty five dollars a barrel. So it's you know oh we got no choice we have to we're just we're just kind of looking at ways to save ourselves. We're gonna saw off the bottom half of our body. Education. That's where they decided. <laughs> that was <laughs> okay. <laughs> I uh, yeah. on brand, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, Fuck. you know, when you've got a, an economic downturn, the best idea is to lay off people who like might be in a household with someone who's also just been laid off because of the downturn in the oil economy. So it's kind of like, man, what the fuck? F- fighting that, fighting that, I don't know if you've got any very quick thoughts or even maybe just a word of support for folks in Alberta. <laughs> But that seems like a big, a big one to have to. Well, but th- okay, so this is this is exactly the type of thing that you know I'm thinking. Well, well, not exactly. You know, it's one of the examples of a type of thing that I'm thinking of. It's like, what do you do in that circumstance? And I think it'll be mm-hmm. quite easy to do the political education to tell people why this is something that is such a terrible idea uh, for society generally. Uh, to put the pressure on policy platform doesn't seem too bad like maybe that's step one I, I think that that is a, a pretty good step so maybe that's our offering today after talking through this is that that's um could be a first step but I you know good luck to the folks in Alberta fighting that fight um and if you have any <laughs> if you have any suggestions or things that are already happening let us know about it so we can talk about it on the air and then also, if anyone else is listening to this and is like, oh, Sandy and Nora, there are obviously things that people can do that you guys have not talked about. Here they are. <laughs> We'd love yeah. to hear that, too. So send that to us, please. Totally. And, and also, there are some really fun old tactics, too. I mean, I'm sure they still have a fax machine that can be jammed. You can do that by yourself if you're in an office. Uh, I'm sure that um, if you start like just sending tons of mail that's that's a fun thing to do as well (laughs) so you can still show strength in numbers (laughs) yeah it's just we might have to adjust how